Hindsight is obviously 2020, but then that kind of makes Goodness. the. Uh, <laughs> at least it's yours this week and not mine. And there must be a uh, delivery at the door. Hold on, Dan. Thankfully, technology has become such a big part of the game. My dog is. Hello, doggy. Hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans, and welcome back to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Uh, Peter is not with us this week, but um, I'm here with with Buzz to to get you through another week. Buzz, how are you? I'm good. I was going to say today I'm calling in from FC Dallas training up in Frisco, but as you well know... No, we're not allowed. Yeah, we've been banned for since March <laughs> from going up there, despite the fact that lots of other people go and watch. Media are not allowed to, so... Uh, we're, we're dealing with a lot of distance coverage of the team and using social media and pictures and B-roll and stuff they put out to try and garner information, but we'll do our best. Funny story about that. I was asked if, I had a, if I'd been to a, a practice or I had a doppelganger. Apparently someone that looked like me was hanging out next to Retta Ziegler's car, and I was like, no, that, that would be kind of dumb. <laughs> that Why would, would I bad. do that? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to lose our credentials. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oof. Wow, it's... Uh, been an interesting week. Uh, you know, North Texas uh, are back. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little down the line. But uh, you know, we had we had a pretty interesting rumor this week with uh, FC Dallas possibly coming back um, for a three game series with Nashville, the uh, the COVID Classico. Um, we had a little bit through the week about uh, a possible game next Friday, and you'd mentioned that you'd heard something similar. So, uh, what are we looking at potentially? Well, the the rumbles that we're getting both from people I know here in Dallas, my connections in Dallas, and from people uh, that are similar to us from Nashville that are hearing things with reporters and people that cover the Nashville teams is that there's a game next Friday here in Frisco would be the first of the three makeup games. Um, None of this is official, of course. There's been no announcement. But when you're hearing it from both ends, there's probably some great validity to it. So we're operating on the assumption that it's going to happen. And today there was even some noise out of Nashville that um, all three of the makeup games are going to be in Dallas. Uh, So I can't verify that part. I haven't been able to verify that part. But um, it's coming out of Nashville that that's the case. And on a competitive level, that makes no sense at all. What a disadvantage for Nashville. But in a COVID sense... Of once you get the team here, Nashville, that is, you know, the travel is the dangerous part where you get exposed. So once you get them here and you have training facilities that are huge so that they could train away from people too, and there's tons of hotels in Frisco. So in a COVID sense, that does make sense. But again, that's not verified and none of it's verified, in fact. But, um, you know, as much as we can say for sure, it sounds like there's a game next Friday. Yeah, and uh, Lucci mentioned on his call uh, something about gearing up for next Friday. Kind of cryptic and then, you know, sort of shied away from it. So, you know, that that seems like it uh, could be a possibility. Uh, And yeah, Frisco definitely offers offers a great mini bubble with the uh, the three hotels now that that are all on each side of the training ground. So... You know, definitely if uh, if they wanted to, to play it that way, it kind of sucks for Nashville, giving up a little bit of a, a home advantage. Although, you know, from what we've seen, uh, they they 
they've lost both of their games so far and, and haven't played in a while. So I guess it's, it's kind of a crapshoot, those first few games anyway. Well, yeah, in a, in a COVID world where you might have a thousand people in the stands, I mean, really, do you have much home field advantage? I mean, other than, you know, the, the discomfort of being in a hotel, really, that's, that's all there is. You know, it's, it's warm here, but it's warm in Nashville too. So it's not, it's not that. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna definitely be interesting. Uh, yeah, like I said, I don't think there's there's too much of a, you know, we're we're talking we're not talking about guys sleeping four to a room in a Motel Six or anything. It's, <laughs> no. you know, for an extended period, we're still talking about, you know, decent three three and a half four star hotels and a, a lush training facility. So I mean, yeah, it's uh, and and there's obviously, you know, will there even be fans uh, with with everything going on? Will yeah. MLS even permit that? That's a very good question uh, because th- that's the rumbles we hear, at least that I hear, is that it's it's up to the league now to give final approval for this idea that effectively what I understand is that the teams are saying, yes, that's fine, uh, at least the next Friday part, um, and the league has to pull the trigger. And now we are talking about literally a week from now, but you know it doesn't take that much to open up a stadium just for a game you know in terms of the player personnel and the, and the uh, production, the, the operations people. If you want to get a ticket things, now that's a little more complicated, and maybe that's going to be tough for FC Dallas to pull off in a week. I don't know. Um, you know, we, we have yet to hear a league relaunch plan, so we don't know how they're going to handle tickets and fans league-wide. I know that there's been some discussion with season ticket holders because I am one of those people, and so I've had discussions with my rep about what could happen going forward. So you know, it's going to be a big play it by ear kind of scenario. I would imagine that like every other game this season, that it'll be on TV or stream or something. So if we even if we can't go sit in the stands, we'll be able to watch the game. Um, otherwise, there wouldn't be a whole lot of point in doing the game if you're not going to at least not have fans in the stands and if you're not going to uh, meet your media requirements in terms of your sponsorships. It's like why would you bother playing next week other than to get them out of the way? I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's always worth pointing out, as well as the, the stuff for season ticket holders, every single person in the in the club's database has been sent a, an email survey about, you know, do you feel comfortable going back to games? Do you like the fake crowd noise? And and how many games have you been to? How many games do you watch on TV? All this, that, and the other. So they're definitely gearing up for some kind of decision there. Yeah, and we have to give them a lot of leeway, I think, uh, you know, this is all see the pants. It's all crazy. You you can't hold them to the fire if it's not perfect. It's like the bubble thing in Orlando. They're going to do their best. And so we're going to give them a lot of leeway. We're, at this point, we're just searching for information of what things are. And all we can really say at this point is it looks like the team's playing next Friday. And then we'll criticize them after. Yeah, yeah well, criticizing for play on the field is different. <laughs> That's not operations. <laughs> but we can make all the attendance jokes afterwards. It's fine. Yeah, there there may not be a whole lot of difference, right? That's no, that's the joke everyone wants to make about SC Dallas. Yeah, so uh, I guess you know, moving on to the actual opponent itself, uh, you know, potential opponent Nashville. Uh, haven't seen a whole lot of them. Just the two games, uh, a two-one loss at home to Atlanta, and then a one-nil loss in uh, Portland. Uh, a few FC Dallas links with uh, Dax McCarty, Walker Zimmerman, and Dominique Bargi, and. Walker Zimmerman, the only goal scorer in Nashville SC history, or MLS version of Nashville SC anyway. Right. Well, it seemed pretty clear in terms of their squad building and their team building that they went with a defensive first mentality for this, you know, as they put their roster together in the first place. I mean, they're relying on Dom Baji and David Akam for um, striking and attacking and 
other than Dax in the midfield, I, I don't know that they really have anybody that can pull the strings and play, you know, aggressive, attacking, exciting, interesting soccer. So, you know, they're, they're a working project, uh, as all expansion teams are. They might be better than Inter-Miami. I don't know. It's, they're right there with, with FC Cincinnati for last year for not being a very good expansion team. So, yeah, they're going to probably said- play very defensive and park the bus coming into Dallas, I would imagine. Yeah, they say, uh, you know, very defensive first uh, team, relatively strong back line with obviously Zimmerman, the headline there, um, Dax and Anibal Godoy as, as your kind of your anchor midfielders. Um, looking at when they played Atlanta in that first game, uh, sorry, no, uh, Portland away in the last game, you know, um, they're, they played a very high line, almost like a flat 4-4-2. Um, it you know you could be forgiven for calling it a six-two-two. It was it was that <laughs> it was that compact and that that uh, defensive. Um, but yeah, not not a hot lot going forward. They've uh, signed Haney Mukhtar as a as a DP. He's kind of been the only one pulling strings. Uh, David Akam always loves to score against FC Dallas, so don't uh, be surprised if he suddenly becomes a competent footballer again. Yeah, at the very least, I would expect them to sit deep and counterattack at this point. That would be my expectation coming in. And I would imagine yeah. you'll see a game where Dallas will dominate possession and they'll spend a lot of time in the Nashville half trying to break down the opposition uh, and, and break down that low block or mid block, whichever block they end up running, you know, probably right inside their own half, I would imagine. Because um, yeah. Dallas isn't, <clears throat> from their strikers, their nines, Dallas isn't an over the top team. The, the attacking width comes from the wings and the get behind comes from the wings. So I would anticipate sort of a mid to low block, but we'll see. We'll and see we've how talked about that kind of diagonal run that catches uh Rettersier quite a bit, you know, with Akam and, and Baji up top, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see, uh, and then Abby Dunlady coming off the bench as well. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the strikers stay wide and, and both try and make that, that di- same diagonal run off both wings to try and, catch FC Dallas on the break and you know create that little bit of uncertainty between the defensive midfielder and the wing back yeah that actually leads me to a question we'll get to later which is formation and we'll get down to it in a minute and we'll talk about why we think we might see one formation or another out of Dallas based on that oh that's just uh, that's just that's just tease that's a tease yeah well then in that case uh you know who do we who do we think is going to play on the Dallas side well, the one person we think is not going to play is Frank O'Hara because um, there was some discussion from FC Dallas that he was working on the side this week, you know, doing his because of a small injury. They seem to be downplaying that it was no big deal, um, which is fine. But, you know, he and the team and everyone else has talked about how he would have to come in and work to get fit and work to get himself into the team and learn the system. You know, we know for sure when you pay what you pay in him, he's going to start at some point. But I don't expect it to be this week. I doubt he's even going to train with the team this week, probably. And even on the off the field, the guy's really distracted. Like there was some stuff on Instagram where like his furniture got delivered yesterday, I think it was, and he's got a pregnant wife, and and there's all this COVID running around the team. So, I mean, you know, you can imagine that the guy may not be 100% buying in all yet, you know, in terms of like full team integration and 100% health and 100% ready to go. So um, that means, of course, that we're going to ride the Cobra train. Cobra is going to be the guy. So 
that's a pretty straightforward uh, idea up top as striker. I, I, I don't think Hara will even make the bench at this point. I think he will still just – it'll just be Cobra and Pepe um, for the front line. And then, of course, Barrios on one side and uh, Fafa Pico on the other if you're staying in a 4-3-3. And the real, the real battle, Dan, and I'd be interested in your take on this too, is um, Jesus Ferreira versus Paxton Pomacol. And I we knew – after the first two games that Pomacol was up, it was going to be his turn basically uh, in the lineup and he was going to start in New York. Now all that got thrown out of the window and that was months ago, but I imagine that Lucci will have in his mind the same thinking that it was Paxton's ready to go and it's his turn. And, you know, he would, he had earned through training and Jesus through his not great play was going to sit down and you would see Paxton Pomacol be in that free eight position. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. Obviously there's a lot of variables. Um, you, you know, um, we know that Ferreira got the virus, and we know that his past will attest that there's no lasting damage. But you know, you're still talking about a virus where most people who get it say, "Hey, you're like maybe 85 percent for six weeks after it." So then, that's that's a significant time out of being like in peak condition, where you know Pomacol may have pulled ahead or. You know, maybe Lucci's thinking drop Pomacol further back like he wanted to do last year. There are a lot of variables, but, um, you know, the thing that really interested me is you said if they play the 4-3-3. Yeah, well, we know that um, from the early spring training, when we were allowed to go to training all the time, that they spent not half the time, but they spent a good chunk, let's say a third of the time, working on a 3-5-2 in the spring training. And we know from observations the week uh, for week three, again, when they were going to play in New York, that they were going to use that three five two, or sorry, a three-man back line. I shouldn't say three five two; It might be a 3-4-3. Three, three. A three-man back line with uh, Brisson being the third player that comes in there, uh, moving Hollingshead and Cannon out to wing back. Um, so that is still 100% in the mix. And both Lucci and, and Ziegler have talked about how um, the team wants to have that ability to use that formation for a given game or even it and the other formation in a single game, you know, through a sub or just a swapping of personnel. Um, and the reason I think there's a good chance you might see it against Nashville comes back to your uh, take a few minutes ago about um, Baji and Akam playing sort of as a, a two-man striker group, particularly one that might play a little wider and go at Ziegler and go at those gaps. And a three-man back line helps with that because when you have a two-man, two-striker system opposite you and you can put three center backs out there, basically, that fills some of those gaps and gives you an extra body to help defend against those two strikers. So there's a, you know, we we have, we can't watch training anymore, so we can't be more definitive than that. But it sure seems like it's a distinct possibility that you're going to see a three-man back line. Now, whether it's a 3-5-2 with a two strikers and a number 10 or more likely, I think, a 3-4-3, where you'd have Holly sitting cannon wide, and then you would still have Thiago Santos and Brian Acosta probably because he's the veteran with the World Cup experience. And then in front of him, the two variations would be, you know, a number 10 and two strikers, which could be like a Cobra Barrios with a pomicle behind, or it could be the regular 343 where you might have Barrios. Uh, Cobra and Pico on the left um, or or Pax on the left. So ha- which version of that you might see will be an interesting question because they can do both quite easily. They both fit their system. The three five two version, you keep your triple pivot in the middle, you know, that, that Lucci likes. The three four three, you keep your two double wings, which Lucci likes. So 
it'll be interesting to see which one of those we actually see. Definitely. And, you know, when we talk about um, the possibility of this, obviously we're not just kind of throwing crap at the wall here. You know, in the uh, Philadelphia game, um, they switched to the to a, a back three or, or back five, however you really want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I remember asking Lucci in a press conference, you know, what, what you saw from it. Um, you know, and, and, and it came down to quite simply Philadelphia play with two front with two strikers, uh, which Nashville they technically play a four two three one, but it really ends up as two strikers. Um, you know, so you add the the third defender in, uh, you know, and he kind of he can swing. He you know there is you, your two players are marking, and then one can attack. One can attack the ball, and uh, and, and start to play from the back. Um, you know, spread it out to the wing, spread it out to uh, to the the centre midfield. Um, so you know, it's it's definitely something that looking at the way they line up, it's it seems a fairly favourable option for Dallas to to at least have that in their back pocket. Yeah, I agree completely, and I think your assessment is correct too. When you have Baji as one of your wingers, you know, or as your nine, and you have Akam as one of your wingers or one of your nine, both those guys have the same instinct, which is to come inside and come camp in that center channel right off of the nine. Um, you know, Baji did that with FC Dallas all the time last year when he was playing as a winger. He rarely played as a conventional winger. He almost always drifted in as a second striker. So it's more than likely that if they, it, while technically, as you say, it might show as a 4 3 one it's like we know that they're going to have two guys running a high line trying to get behind the defense. And between Ziegler, Hedges, and Brisson, none of those three guys are, are notably fast. They're not... Ziegler maybe is a touch slow, and Hedges is p- perfectly quick enough. But the, none of them are like, ooh, going to go head-to-head with Baji kind of pace. So there'll be some conservativeness to their back line play, and I think actually the three-man center backs are, uh, lends itself to that. Definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, probably not probably for another episode or when I eventually uh, do the breakdown that I've been promising I will do for the blog on, on that three-man back line. <laughs> Uh, it is on its way, I promise. Um, you know, there are there are definitely some uh, some effects that players like going forward. Um, some things that Paxton Pomacos said to me. Um, actually, one last thing on the on the three man back line. I spoke to Jimmy Marr on uh, on a team Zoom call recently, and I asked him about it, and he was like, you know, three man back line really doesn't matter to me. The formation, it's just it's just some numbers. It's a very fluid situation. It's it's. It's interesting because your formation used to be everything. Rigidity was like key. If you lost your shape in a game, you were screwed. And and now the game's evolved so much, and particularly with with progressive coaches like Lucci, you know, where we talk about the three five two or or three four three. Let's be honest, it's going to be the same thing. Uh, you know, and the four two three one is a four three three. It's just how you know how they uh, yep. how they uh, could, you know advance and and come back. And think about when you watch when Dallas is playing in the four three three or whatever version of it you want. When they build out, their wings go up and their center backs split wide. One of those holding mids drops back into the hole, and you effectively get a three man back line as you build forward. So you know, as you say, these formations are fluid and and tactics are fluid. And and Dallas actually is really known for um, that formation compressing that back line becoming a five or becoming a. Uh, you know, and then moving forward is all of a sudden it's a two, you know, it's just, it just depends on the fluidity of the situation and the up and down situation. And it'll be fun to watch because I have an impression that Nashville's a very direct team, a very old school 
track meet kind of team, you know, and, and not particularly nuanced and flexible and or possession oriented. So it'll be interesting to watch that that conflict. Yeah, definitely. Looking at their numbers early on, they definitely had a, a high number of crosses and a high number of long balls. So, you know, um, old school. You, you should see Matt Hedges get his head on an awful lot of balls. Yeah, you would think <laughs> that sounded wrong. Sorry, <laughs> That's so dirty. Funny Peter was here to laugh at that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I guess, um, you know, we we just mentioned uh, Jimmy Mara. Obviously, uh, Jesse Gonzalez currently out the picture of his suspension. Uh, Carlos Avila is down with North Texas. Uh, so how's that goalkeeper situation uh, really looking forward, uh, going forward? Yeah, the, the big problem is that right now, and Lucci's mentioned this a couple of times, is that they have had to stop the transition between um, North Texas and FC Dallas, and not even just North Texas, between the academy and FC Dallas, too. The, the idea in the past where they would bring guys into first-team training, whether it be North Texas players or academy players, that idea has gone away. And the same is true of FC Dallas players going down to North Texas. Because of COVID, it's pretty obvious. Like When you go down to the other team, you've blown your own little internal bubble apart. And, and expose yourself to the other team. And so you, you then have to isolate for, I mean, I don't know what it is, a week, two weeks, who knows. So like if you go down just to play a game and can't come back for two weeks, you have to go sit on and not even train. You have to go sit on the side isolated for two weeks, be quarantined for two weeks. So no one's doing that right now, um, which is why it's interesting that Carlos Aviles is back with North Texas, that he's been training with North Texas and he was on the bench um, they went with Zamundio in the first game, who had been there the whole time, of course, because Carlos was with FC Dallas. So I had talked about on this podcast and other locations that um, signing Aviles once Jesse was out, suspended, was a, okay, kid, here's a chance. Can you step up? Can you bring your level up to the first team? Can we make do through this season with you as our third choice? And I think the fact that he's gone back to North Texas means the answer to that question is no, because you can technically go with just two keepers. You could. But what happens now if Jimmy or, or Kyle Zovac gets hurt, even if it's a minor injury? You're going to go into the game with no bench keeper. You're gonna, you can't bring in an MLS keeper, I don't think, because they're not going to have been in your bubble. You can't bring in a guy for a game, right? That makes no sense. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the, uh, the situation at Vancouver has been short on goalkeepers. Or was it Montreal, one or the other? Um, you know, and, and they've got the pool keeper in the bubble. So the pool keeper's, you know, he's fine. But having the pool keeper fly in from wherever to Dallas, they've, you know, they've naturally got a quarantine. Yeah, you don't just you'd jump to, into the side. You'd have to isolate him for a week or two before he could even. And how how does that work if it's like, oh, Jimmy's tweaked a, a hammy. He just needs like a week off. You know, he's got some tightness. Well, that's that doesn't work, right? So the answer is they need a third keeper. So like Ryan Apple Holland is. Said, yeah, Avalos' presence with North Texas means he's staying with North Texas. That means that no, short term, he wasn't the answer, which not, is not bad necessarily for his career, by the way. He's just 21, got lots of time to progress, so he can go play with North Texas. But it means that windows opening, it means that, in my mind, it means that FC Dallas is going to go get a keeper. Now, are they going to go get a keeper like a pool keeper, like a third keeper, a backup keeper? Or are they going to go and try and get a full, legit compete with Jimmy for the first job replacement for Jesse. That's a bigger question. And, and probably we will not know the answer until FC Dallas tells us something about Jesse, but internally they know the answer to that question already, I would imagine. 
And I know for a fact that they've been looking at keepers just because it's part of your job, number one, to do due diligence. The minute Jesse got suspended, they started looking at keepers. I guarantee it. And I know for a fact that that's true. So I am now convinced because Avalez is back with North Texas that Dallas will go after a keeper of some kind in this window, this next coming window that will open up soon. And I don't think that'll be the only player they go after. I think they'll go after another player too if they can find somebody because – We've talked about this a lot, Dan, that the market's about to be flooded with players, and we'll, this will affect somebody else with Dallas in a minute. The mal- teams worldwide are going to be cutting payroll. There's going to be a bunch of players that are going to be surprisingly available. And so I bet think Dallas will keep their eye open and grab somebody unexpected in this window. Yeah, definitely. We're seeing in Europe now that you know team some teams had given like month or two extensions to players who are coming out of contract to complete the seasons there, and now they're having to to come back to them and say, hey, look, with all this, we've lost X amount of money. We're going to have to cut you X. You know, here's your new contract. It's not the value you were on, uh, which, you know, for for a lot of players, just means they're going. Uh, you yeah. Know, if it is MLS a potential destination for, for, those, for those players, absolutely. Um, you know, we do know that goalkeeper is not a position you really want to waste a, an international pick, uh, roster spot on. Uh, so yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what happens, especially with like you say with with other with the outfield positions. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a player, if you're a keeper that's in a let's say you're in the USL Championship, perhaps, you know, or if you're sitting on someone else's bench and now you see an opportunity for oh, if I go into Dallas, maybe I can compete. I mean, maybe it is just a short term shot, but you know. I look at maybe I look at Jimmy Maurer and think that's a guy I can beat out potentially. I have a lot of faith in Jimmy Maurer, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying if you're a young, hot, up and coming keeper who feels like they're not getting a chance at let's say USL championship or or an MLS bench somewhere, maybe you might want to jump on an opportunity to come to Dallas. And that's true worldwide too. If you can find a player, particularly one that could get a green card relatively quickly. Uh, you know the the stability of the United States and the the, the paychecks arriving every day in a time when uh, you know COVID has made already volatile markets even more volatile. There's an appeal, so I, I definitely think you should keep an eye out for keepers coming into Dallas this summer. And uh, talking about European clubs maybe looking for for lower cost alternatives, um, we, we've had the constant story of Reggie Can and how do you know how do you see this being affected? Well, uh, unfortunately for Reggie, we know worldwide the market's going to be down. The market's there's going to be a flood of players, and the prices are going to drop. Now that may make Dallas West less willing to sell because uh, his Reggie's value probably just went from, in my mind, three million down to, I don't know, one, maybe one point five. Um, and will Dallas take that? But the bigger question is actually is that according to my sources, Dallas does not have a legitimate solid offer for Reggie Cannon on the table. They've had inquiries. There are teams that are interested, but no one has put in a bid for Reggie yet. So, you know, you know, it's, you need to, we, this club and we on the outside need to start thinking about the possibility that because of his decline in value and because of the glut of players that are going to be available for free, that there's a good chance Reggie's not going anywhere. Uh- this is a, a completely different situation for really every other aspect, but it's kind of like how how it was with Kellen Acosta when everyone was talking about there's so much interest abroad. And, um, you know, I remember I was speaking to Dan Hunt and he was like, it's weird. We've had so many inquiries, not one offer. 
Yeah, it's everyone wants kind of to know thing. what he's worth, or you know, is he really available? But no one is just no one's been willing to to push the button on it. Yeah, we, we've 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 literally heard about four or five different clubs in Germany. I have, and there was also been clubs from other countries mentioned, you know. But right now, there's no bid on the table. Now, does that does that mean that there haven't been people that have said, "Well, what if we came in for this? Would you do it?" You know, that's different than saying, "Here's a number." You know, and that's what they don't have. Mm-hmm. They have people that have, as you say, they've called and kicked the tires and said. Can we, could we really get him? And then, then they go back and they think about what they want to do. And then they, maybe they get somebody else or maybe they double down on the guy they have because right now they don't want to pay $1 million or $3 million or whatever it is that Dallas has evaluated him. I, th- I think the number was three. That's just my opinion. But you're not going to get that now. So um, is Dallas going to want to sit on him and not send, it, send him away? They've got him for like well, – I can't remember the contract off the top of my head. It's like three years now maybe, but we know that it accelerates to like five hundred grand. That's a lot of money for an outside back, five hundred grand next year. So there's an incentive for Dallas to move him, but uh, they're not going to give him away for peanuts either. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that Reggie's going to play out this season at least and maybe further. I mean, it's uh, it's it's simultaneously the the best and worst problem to have with uh, when it comes to the salary cap and the talent level. Yeah, it's important to remember too that Dallas has pressure from below because of the fact that they want this system to work, this build players and then sell players system, this whole pipeline, this whole treadmill of players. Reg, Reggie right now is a roadblock to that idea at at his position. You know, Brian Reynolds is ready for playing time. They just signed Eddie Munjoma. They need to find out whether he's going to be legit. They let Kevin Bonilla go to college, and maybe he's a one-and-done kind of guy. They got guys coming up. There's a kid at the U19 that I've heard good things about. I haven't seen him um, only a couple times, so I'm not 100% convinced yet, but people tell me that he's legit. You know, and then the, you can go on down through the system – of you know there's a train of guys coming up and this is true at every position but reggie's currently one of those roadblocks and if you want to be a selling team which the hunts do at some point you got to sell some people and reggie really wants to go so they, they need to get this uh get something done and i'm just afraid that the market has died and reggie's going to be stuck uh obviously hindsight's 2020 but uh you know now it just looks like the structure in that contract may may have been a mistake uh although you know Obviously, going into it, it's a it's a come and buy him move. It's it appeases the player, it appeases the uh, the budget. It, it it was kind of in the best interest of everyone going into it. Yeah, I think it's only going to be a bit negative thing because of the pandemic. If the pandemic doesn't happen, then we're, this is not even a thing. It's only with this unforeseeable uh, cataclysmic worldwide problem that, you know, that's wrecked the business model worldwide that, uh, that this is now going to maybe be a little bit of a problem, but you know, Dallas has plenty of Tam and Gam, so they can buy guys down. So I think that they'll be able to functionally deal with it. It's just that they have a sort of system of what you pay guys in certain positions and outside back is not a bellwether position where you're going to drop 500,000 a million at. That's just not how you, the the hunts build rosters. So, um, you know, I'm glad to get Reggie's getting paid. The kid deserves to get paid, but um, he also deserves the move that he wants. And I worry that it'll impact his national team future with the world cup two years away, you know, and he's stuck here in MLS and, and, and maybe in his mind, not progressing when he's competing against two guys that are now going to be, you know, Destin Yedlin over there in Europe. Stupid COVID ruining his national team prospects. Uh, it's possible. Of, yeah. 
Speaking of stupid things ruining national team prospects, Fabian Castillo was talking about FC Dallas recently. Yeah, I enjoyed the fact that he thought he said that uh, he would have wanted to come back here someday. Uh, first of all, he tried to spin a little bit that he left, at least if I understood the translation correctly, he left to win titles, which I find disingenuous because you know you don't dash out in the middle of the night <laughs> without permission for titles to tr- trust Ben Spore. <laughs> if he didn't believe he was realistically about to win a travel yeah i mean that team was loaded and cruising and his leaving derailed what was in a magnificent season and had a chance to win some so i find that to be garbage um so so he says he wants to come back someday uh i'm gonna say no and not uh, and you could say no just for the burn bridges but i'm gonna say no for a different reason which is that he's 28 so someday is what 30 31 32 and you're talking about a player whose game is built on speed. His game is built on getting behind guys and tearing defenses apart from, from wide and from deep. Uh, as your speed falls off, and he's already started to fall off, that becomes ineffective. Guys that play deep into their 30s do so because of their mind or their touch, not because of their pace. So if your pace is your bag, it's going to fall off. So like today he would have value, but he's not coming today. And so I think it's a non-starter, and, and he's just trying to – get over his regrets he has because he blew it leaving when he did to a stupid club. And uh, I think he wishes he hadn't done it. And now he's trying to back pedal it. And I think it's, it's a mess and, and I don't, I don't want him and I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there is a, a rule of thumb. Second spells never work well. Um, and that's not just because someone tries to play Kenny Cooper out on the wing where he doesn't belong. It's, you know, just, uh, I don't know. It never seems to work out that well. But like you say, he's fallen off so much as a player. He's been uh, he's been a walking injury. He seems to have caught the Mauro Diaz bug, mm. uh, fractured his ankle twice, which was pretty spectacular. Um, it's you know, for a guy who was was frustrating as hell anyway, uh, just for the fact that he would forest gump it and run through the boards at the end line, run up the beer garden, up the stairs, out the stadium, out through the training ground, and hit, end up stopping somewhere in Prosper with the ball still at his feet. <laughs> um, it, you know, now he's doing that on one leg, or, you know, rather yeah. slowly. He's uh, got Reto Ziegler running past him. You know. um, but it just... Uh, you know, FC Dallas is actually pretty good on the left wing right now. Uh, Mascara, when he obviously he's hit and miss, but when he hits, he hits. Fafa Pico is is looking to do a good job there. Dallas is actually over it's over the hump of not not replacing him like for like the player he was, but rebalancing the side. Yeah, Fafa Pico's been here for two games, and I like what I see. I I think that they're they're perfectly fine at left wing, and when you include guys like Jesus Ferreira or Paxton Pamacol or even Thomas Roberts playing as a false wing over there, I, I'm, I think they're perfectly good. And Fafa deserves a good run, and I think he's uh, more than capable of re- replacing anything Castilla brought to the table. Who was, by the way, Fabian? I'm sure everyone knows a, a poor decision maker in the final third in the box and in life apparently too, but. Um, Fafa Pico is looking like he's a pretty smart player, pretty intelligent player, pretty intelligent guy off the field too. So um, I have high expectations for what he's going to be able to do. He's not going to break the game or anything, but I think he's going to be a more than adequate fill-in and balance to Barrios on the other side. And I think having a, a you know a, a attack coming from both sides is going to do a lot of good for guys like Cobra or Frank O'Hara, whoever it ends up being at the, at the nine. 
Sorry, I got distracted uh, because I was just whispering Thomas Roberts Thomas in my Roberts. head over and over again after you mentioned his name. <laughs> yeah. I uh, uh, I did want to spin back to something you, you said in the COVID discussion. Um, and this is not at all political. I'm just going to say that like there have been a couple of reports that have come out, and I don't want to hear from anybody about whatever you think about COVID. There's been a couple of reports that have shown that long-term, some people have had some heart damage and some lung damage. So that's a new thing, I think, that players are going to be worried about. You know, because there was a lot of talk about how Dallas was mostly asymptomatic. There were like three or four guys that had symptoms. I actually think that that's a thing. And we'll see how young people, young, fit, awesome athletes do. I'm actually afraid now that there might be a player down the line that a year from now you might be like, I've had my career ruined because of COVID because I have this lung damage and I'm not as, I can't get as fit as I was, or I've had this heart damage. I mean, we remember Bobby Ryan playing with heart problems that nobody knew about, you know, he didn't pass until after he was done playing, but you know, you hear about players with heart troubles passing in games or whatever. So I would, if I'm a player, I would actually be worried about it. If I had tested positive at some point, I'd be going to see doctors on my own, to have my heart and lungs checked just for this various kind of thing, because we don't know. I mean, this is the thing with this disease, right? We really have no idea um, what the long-term ramifications are going to be for people. And so uh, I think there should be a concern there. And maybe I don't mean to be a a negative Nelly or a panic causer, but um, like just this past week, I've decided I've been thinking about that. And it's like, man, I I would be worried if I was an athlete and I got it. Not, not for my short-term health, for my long-term health. No, I think you're uh, you're completely on the money there, and it's you know it's worth pointing out they do have to do a, t- a cardiovascular test, uh, pass a, a league mandated cardiovascular test just to return to training. But um, yeah, you you know I mean people that I've known that have got it have said like you know it's like six weeks where you're just kind of you know you're 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 better, but you you're not yourself. You're not. Yeah. You, you know you're out of breath and all this that and the other if you're doing like some you know if you're a player doing lung busting runs and a lot of cardio then that's that's a significant issue and yeah uh, you know you look at players like jordan morris jordan morris has to go to get his inhaler at the start of, at the start of the half you know uh with with his asthma um you know we talk about players who who are who would be at risk from from damage to their career and, and that's the sort of player um yeah someone actually told me um uh luke cock from from el matador he actually told me that um the army are looking to reduce the uh pt requirements for uh for for soldiers that are uh that get the virus just with you know how many people potentially are going to come down with it and the potential damage and, and how it would affect kind of like the, the turnover in the military so you know something that that extreme a response should tell you really all you need to know about you know there is there is a risk of uh, lasting damage it's not a political thing it's just it's a reality yeah yeah the reality is that nobody knows yet and it's just that there are starting to be some signs that some people and i have no idea about percentages can have this long-term heart and lung issue. And I'm obviously, I'm not a doctor, but um, you know, if you've been asymptomatic and fine, or if you've had some mild symptoms and, or even some medium symptoms, like we've heard from FC Dallas players, they're all fine now, of course. But you know, in the back of my head, I, as a player, I would be a little bit concerned. I'd be monitoring this. I mean, you know, the world changes all the time and, and we're going to learn about this disease as we go forward. And, and that, that idea that there could be long-term damage, I think is one that they, as a players need to pay attention to, I mean, you know, some fat 
sofa sitting schmo like me, who cares? But you know, a, a player. Uh, when you're operating at the far limits and the extremes of physical fitness in a sport like soccer with lung capacity and heart capacity, uh, man, a little bit of a knock could be a career ender. You know, uh, thankfully, technology has become such a big part of the game, and especially in Dallas, uh, you know, with the heart rate monitors and and the the uh, the, the oxygen saturation tracking and, and GPS and everything else. That you know, Dallas is probably one of the better places to get a handle on it, but uh you know there's definitely further down the uh the the ladder where uh, where there are going to be players that you know unfortunately probably will get caught out by you know by not seeing some damage until you know they're uh, they've sort of run themselves into the ground hmm. hope not well i think we've about about uh, exploited everything we can today dan in terms of fc dallas talk yeah. um before before you say goodbye to everybody, let me just real quick promote the Patreon. If you enjoy our podcasts or our coverage on thirddegree.net, you can support us at our Patreon, patreon.com slash thirddegree. Any amount is welcome. We're like the NPR model, uh, public radio model. If you like what we do, throw us a couple bucks uh, and, and help us keep this site going, this podcast going, and our coverage of FC Dallas going. And congratulations to... Uh Denton Diablos Estudiantes for beating the parent team in uh, in the Roja League final this week. That was uh, what a way to get your first silverware to to beat yourself. Uh, again, sounded wrong. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun sort of support local soccer moment that the the two Diablos teams, which were had made it to the final and played each other, and the the young new upstarts beat the old older dudes. So that that was. Uh, although I will admit that the Estudiantes team is mostly made up of the college kids home over the summer, which is what the Diablos team was last year. So um, a lot of those guys came back and played together. So it's not surprised that they were pretty good and cohesive and and pulled together that local championship that they. Uh, that the local NPSL teams cobbled together. I love that fact that they got some competition going and played some games and awarded a trophy. I thought that was good stuff. Definitely. And, you know, from obviously you, you pimp the Patreon. Let's talk about the blog. Uh, you know, for more local coverage like that, the Vaqueros, Lone Star Republican, the NISA Independent Cup, uh, you know, and North Texas SC, obviously. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely keep up with the blog for uh, what we're covering. Yeah, big big opening day win for North Texas Soccer Club. Uh, they look like they have not missed a step, which is funny because they've replaced like half that team. Um, but they still look pretty dang good, and I think they're still going to have an exceptional season. They travel this weekend to play. I think it's Omaha, which is one of the new teams. So um, an opponent we won't know much about, but it'll be fun to watch because it's actually professional soccer being played by the same organization. So I'll be watching and enjoying, and, and we will cover that as we cover uh, everything in North Texas. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us for uh, episode seventy one of Third Degree the podcast, and and thank you for your insight as always, Buzz. You're welcome, Thomas Robert.